Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Aha! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Sorry, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the beans. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're unpacking, basically. Beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I, can I have a glass of water, please? Hello, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. The podcast that tentatively nibbles on the oysters of Partridge and then talks until our lips swell up. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. One of the more prominent words is the word f. Nick Older. But c too is also common across the Germanic and Scandinavian languages. And Tom Stab. We also find uses of piss, cock, shit, wank. So, a great big welcome to all of our listeners in 178 countries. Uh, we are now going to be talking about episode 5 of This Time with Alan Partridge. But before we get into the episode itself, we'd like to take a look at uh, This Week in Alan. What else have we learned about Alan? Where has he popped up in the news uh, outside of the episode of This Time? Um, so, we know a little bit more about Alan's next project, aka what he's up to when This Time is done and dusted. Uh, anybody want to dive into that? 
Yeah, so that was uh, Simon Denton, aka Tim Key, on uh, in an interview with uh, with Frank Skinner, saying that the uh, the next Partridge project is likely to be a documentary. So this is obviously something that Alan's kind of dipped his fingers in, dipped his fingers into. That's not a phrase. <laughs> dipped his toe. <laughs> dipped his it'll toe. Do, it'll do. It'll do. D- uh, dipped his toe into before. Welcome to the places of my life, uh, Scissor Dial, etc. But obviously, this uh, we obviously don't know what the documentaries are about. Um, but yeah, a, a, a new. Uh, series of Alan on the BBC uh, I'm guessing later this year or early next year yeah and I wonder if it is a series or a one-off um, we also found out from the interview that Tim Key's not going to be featured in it so it's sidekick Simon Free as far as we're aware I th- I'm pretty sure and I, I'm trying to now remember where where we where I've got this from in my head but I'm of the understanding and maybe I've just made this up that there's a new Alan series which I assume is the usual six-parter and two one-off specials which i assume are the documentaries Uh, well i don't know that we have uh uh well i don't want to jump the gun but certainly from my perspective keep it to the one-offs uh over the series would be uh would be my feeling is that because you hate this time with alan partridge nick um we'll get to it we'll get to it (laughs) okay (laughs) um Anything else in terms of this week in Alan? We'll obviously be covering people's feedback and press reaction to episode five in a separate episode coming your way tomorrow. Uh, but is there any other places that Alan's popped into the news this week? Uh, well, the other thing that I saw was uh, Lolly, a.k.a. Ruth, was on the Jonathan Ross show uh, on the weekend just gone. Uh, it's very very quick five-minute chat. Uh, they talked about her playing the character of Ruth and they played in a clip of the time delay uh skit as it were um but yeah to be honest no insight to be found and not even a time delay anywhere so quite disappointing so was that just to promote this time it seems a bit of an odd point to have a guest on talking about a show that's already in the middle of a series and also she's not i know i mean she is a regular recurring character obviously but obviously you've got steve coogan susanna fielding tim key they're all busy uh, (laughs) they're all uh felicity montague um well i think they have all done uh promo apart from lolly quite possibly like you see i mean i don't know if anybody saw before this time started susanna fielding she even went on the live bbc news channel and like sat in on a few links and stuff that was quite weird and oh, that's weird felicity montague did was it lorraine i think right um so with lolly i think it was i think uh, she's got a stand-up tour to promote as well quick question right. for you when felicity montague was on lorraine was she being herself or was she playing the character of felicity montague important to get that distinction <laughs> right. no no no, no. Uh, just to be clear it's alan that has issues with tax avoidance not felicity montague he, slash yeah, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't avoid it he evades it no the other way around <laughs> uh, he just so, lets off onto onto this episode now i can tell from the tone in everyone's voices that i think this might be the first one where we were across the board slightly underwhelmed to say the least oh yeah i'd say more than just a little bit i watched it and thought it was not great and then rewatching it today, with the exception of the opening, which I think is actually really funny, I think the whole thing is quite uh, quite disappointing, to be totally honest. There's so much repetition of the same jokes, and any kind of new jokes in there, for me, just either fall flat or are just shadows of jokes that they've done before. I mean, we'll get into it, but um, on first viewing of this episode, I really didn't like it. And I'm still not a massive fan. I think it's comfortably the weakest in the series so far. But I thought certain sections did improve with in the subsequent two viewings that I've done of this episode. Um, and also... Nick, I completely understand what you're saying about the repeated segments, but actually, I think those repeated segments are arguably two or 
when they do feature, I can't remember if it's two returning segments or more, but um, they're arguably the strongest sections in this episode. They are still very, very funny. It's the new sections, uh, quite a few of the VTs that I think fall a bit flat, but we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I agree that this is the weakest of the series so far. I would say there are s- several moments in it that I thought were, were really brilliant. But for every yeah. one I thought was incredible, there was one that I thought was, was a real disappointment. Often in yeah. the same segment or the same piece of VT. Mm. But uh, but let's come on to that. I agree. So, so uh, we open with Alan urging cheerleaders to start cheering uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as he, he drives a rolls into the studio. I love, if you notice, yeah. in, front, in front of the car, there's been a driveway marked on the studio floor that is literally yeah. about as long as the car itself. So <laughs> presumably it's just there to, so that Alan can tell when to stop driving. Very quick question before we delve further into this scene. Can I have a retrospective predictor partridge point for Alan embellishing his entrance to the programme? Uh, no, because it was for a completely oh. different episode that you predicted that. But yes, I see what you mean. The, the rules weren't made clear. No. <laughs> um, yes, so he, he rolls to the end of that driveway. I noticed quickly the tooth lapel is also back. Tooth lapel yep. watch there for you. Uh, go on, Nick. So- <laughs> Did we uh, all enjoy uh, the, the entrance music, which is quite subtle in the mix, but there's this kind of like tuba, like <laughs> it's, it's so like um, it's like 80s library music, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly, go back and listen to that tuba I don't, music. I didn't clock that. It is. Brilliant. It really does. It really sets it off, and it genuinely that that entrance is brilliant. I thought it was really funny. Um, he also does a fairly average job of pretending to be titillated and excited, just going, ooh, yeah, over and over again. <laughs> With his Rolls Royce full of fizzed up squealers, as he puts it. Um, yeah, I, 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 really, I really enjoyed this bit because I think anyone that knows Alan, you can tell this isn't going to be what it is on the surface as well. Like the way he's behaving is a bit weird. But it kind of does does really recall the days of knowing me, knowing you as well. Because in those days, I think this would be happening very much at face value as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. he, he legitimately had dancing girls and things in, Gnome, in the Indeed. days of knowing me, knowing you. Yeah. In fact, to the point where he says, you know, 20 years ago, coming on with yeah. a Rolls Royce full of Cougars would have been absolutely normal. And I think he's only saying that because he used to do it. Yeah, mm. yeah. totally. I just thought it was great. Uh, he gets the girls out of the car, hop at you lot, and there's an awkward <laughs> pause where he pulls back one of the uh, ladies to pat on the bum. Um, I thought this was quite good, given the reveal that's coming up, that that particular person is kind of obscured by the windshield of the rolls, so you can't mm. really tell who it is until it's uh, too late. Yeah, and if you notice, when they're doing sort of the wooing and the cheering and like throwing the pom-poms in the air, he, he Peter, throws the sort of pom-poms in the air but doesn't make any kind of noise or anything like that, doesn't say <laughs> anything. You just look at his face and he's just complete silence, just looking straight ahead. I could be completely wrong, but I'm convinced that there's another man. If you rewatch it, there's a person in the back wearing a blue top that I'm convinced is also a man. <laughs> but is that just me? <laughs> Uh, I I did notice that someone had an a, a bit of an andro- Come on, Adam. I need your, I need your full support on this. There, there was someone I'm in the not, car I'm that had something of an androgynous vibe around them, and I wondered if that was if if that was deliberately done so that it it was even harder to spot the uh, chap in the front seat. What? Well, yeah, I think it's a man. Um, and you can see as the chap's walking away from the car that he's clearly never worn heels before. He is tottering to the max. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Um, and then they go into the no routine. Um, did you notice at this point that they seem to have been picked to basically represent a Buntonless Spice Girls? Yeah, I did think they had. They looked a little bit like the Spice Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Each, each of them's got a distinct look that matches one of the Spice Girls bar baby. 
And can you remember the three things that they say no to? Uh, yes, that is uh, no to exploitation, yeah. no to subjugation, and no to domination. Yes, and I, I first time I listened to this, I had to rewind it, and I've rewound it, rewound it several times. They definitely say subjugation, which is not a word. Yes. It's oh, subjugation. Really? <laughs> yeah. Script, script by Alan, presumably. Yeah. Um, also, I'm a bit. I'm a big fan of what's possibly the weakest applause from a studio <laughs> yes. ever. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Uh, I'm yeah. so I think, sure. I think this whole routine and the applause is one of the high watermarks of cringe in this series. Absolutely unbearable to me. Yeah, it felt like a really classic Alan moment, I think, and probably well, probably the strongest opener to the series, which I think is interesting, bearing in mind what we all seem to agree about the episode overall. Yeah. And uh, and a repeated joke that we've seen before as he describes the uh, the ladies as clantily scad. Um, yep. One of- he also um, uses the term spunk up a show, which I've, is a term I'm not no, familiar no, 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 with. No, 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 Nick, it's a... T- t- uh, perfectly normal way to spruce or spunk up an opening so it's even worse <laughs> even more suggestive um i also like that he says uh, people recognize it now for what it is bad and wrong and there are so many camera angle switches i love that point, I which love is his way of saying so I'm, I'm doing something serious yeah yeah so I'm, i made a note about this so th- th- that's a bit of a technical gag as well so because you have literally the camera angles switching from left to right, either side of where he sat in the car, that is basically breaking a convention known as crossing the line. So, Nick, you should remember this from doing a media studies course. So that is, technically, yep, that is technically very bad editing because it's disorientating for the viewer. But again, that's the joke. It's basically, it's a crime akin to dead air. Yeah, yeah pretty much. In, te- in television standards, yes. So lots of quick editing like that is considered bad form in TV world. Well, it's it's not the quick editing. It's the fact that the camera is going literally 180 from right. one side of him to the other. So what, what you should have for good editing, it should be linear in terms of you should feel like a flow or a narrative of what you're watching. So you would try to keep all the shots on the same side. Media expert Tom Darkman. Yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> I also like that um, when when he says, "Oh, it's bad and it's wrong." He has a sad face, but his face seems to suggest that he's sad that it's now considered bad and wrong, rather than <laughs> the fact it's bad. Very and good. Wrong. That's a great take on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's utilised the uh, the Richmond Youth Theatre Group, which sadly is not a real theatre group, uh, and claims that they each gave their consent to being objectified. Um, now, I'm brilliant keep, line. Brilliant. I'm, keep, I'm keeping a rolling tally of uh, dubious presumptions that alan makes throughout the episode and i'll uh, hit you with all of them at the very end but suffice to say there are many question to the group do we think peter's inclusion uh, being dressed up as a woman was alan's idea or uh, alan's insistence oh i think it should, i think well, it must I, be because if this skit is written by him and suggested yeah. by him the payoff yeah. is that one of them is a man so therefore but that, that's that's his way of doing it in a woke 2019 yeah, yeah. he must have thought he was, be, yeah. he was being very clever that it's like ah actually i was just touching this man's bum which apparently yeah, it's is, fine it's fine it, yeah yeah it's brilliant it's fine to touch a man's bum yeah so that's not a problem <laughs> <laughs> in this case a shaved boy in a wig uh, <laughs> not not a man a boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, he mentions Alan mentions that they spent a week at a church hall. I thought possibly Lynn's uh, developing the performance Ooh. piece you just saw. I mean, I wa- this is a stretch. This is a stretch. Performance piece is bold. I did think that uh, for that performance piece to have taken a week's prep, 
that could only have come from the writers of Partridge who spent months uh, manufacturing maybe a minute or two of footage. Um, yeah, it's maybe a thinly veiled reference to the amount of time Partridge put into every shot of this time. No way did the end justify the means there. So, so are you suggesting that took, a, that took a week's prep in the real universe and the Alan Partridge universe? Quite possibly, yes. And, uh, and, 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 and not to jump too far ahead, but speaking of things that uh, the Partridge team spend an awful lot of time on, you just know there's probably a day-long meeting about how fat Alan lips had to be later on <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll definitely come to that in depth um did everybody enjoy the uh the lingering looks that uh alan and peter exchange as he exits the stage as it were I, for me i thought alan's definitely battling some demons there he's having some thoughts that he wishes he wasn't having right i was trying to work this one out because he yeah he obviously peter says cheers alan uh, and then and then <laughs> alan tries to start the link is interrupted by the women and then and then Peter says, see, see you later, Alan, and he sort of replies to him. He just says, okay, Peter. Yeah, yeah is, is, it, is it unrequited love from Peter, or have they agreed <coughs> to meet for a lasagna? Do, or do the, do, the qua- <laughs> do the Quavers share the church hall with the Richmond Youth Theatre group, so he'll see him again that way? I, I think my, my take on this is, as Gibbons and uh, the Gibbons brothers and Coogan have said about Alan, that he's not gay, but he's scared he might be. And I think this is a thing. Alan's basically spent a week patting a man's bottom in a church hall. Uh, that's taken him to uh, sexual places in his mind that he wishes he wasn't in. I like that theory. Uh, may I present an alternative? I think the way that he says, OK, Peter, in a sort of sympathetic way, is that there's an implication here that Alan thinks Peter must be troubled because he's the only man in a drama group. And that he's trying to sort of, you know, he thinks he needs protecting because he's fragile. That's a very deep reading from use of the word okay. I just think I just think there is a there is a, a theme through this episode of Alan basically you know mis- misinterpreting and attributing motives to people that aren't fair and you know sort of jumping to the wrong conclusion and making loads of assumptions. Totally, I but I think the, the, the I think the key to this segment is the way Alan looks at him, not so much what he actually says. It's it's a lingering look. There's some kind of lusty intent behind it, whether he likes it or not. Yeah, there's a wistful look towards a lady boy there, isn't there? So it's, oh, uh, well, that's ooh. it, isn't it? That's there it. You go. Yeah. He's yeah. opened the he's opened the lady boy section of Alan's mind. That exactly. Yes. Uh, Alan then says, "Welcome again to this time. Not the first uh, instance in this episode of him being annoyed by his own mistake. Uh, there's another one at the <laughs> British Library later as well. Um, yeah. And we're onto the credits, which obviously have some crucial changes that we must discuss." Uh, yeah, so the, the receptionist this week, uh, her hair is down and she is smiling at Alan. Well, in previous not week... smiling at Alan. She's smiling. <laughs> she, okay, good point. She's been told to smile by the by the crew that are filming her. Yeah, but or she Alan. could be greeting Jeremy Clarkson or yeah, yeah, that, one that, of the that's Dimblebees. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> the, the point has been made. She is smiling, whereas previously she was essentially mid-eye roll. Um, yeah, I, is I this reckon the Alan's only... insistence, I reckon. Yeah, and it's, and it's taken him yeah. two episodes to notice as well. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can. It, it, it must be that, isn't it? In the APU, Alan slash Pear Tree have complained and demanded that it's changed. Was that the only change? That's the only one that I spotted this week. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I think there are other changes that are more subtle. Um, I think what's happening is right. each week the credits are becoming ever so slightly more about Alan's journey. Uh, increasing, like for example, there's a cut now that makes uh. it look like Jenny is laughing at one of his jokes, even though they're never. Oh in no, that was together. that was always in there though. But was, did, it, all, did it always look they, like she was laughing at him? Because I think it's been yeah. cut slightly differently each week. No, no, that, that's how it's always looked to me. Because I think that was a scene where previously you saw John and Jenny were having an exchange. And they've literally taken John out and slotted Alan in. 
Right. Well, okay. I don't, I don't it, think that's different. It's all on the iPlay. You can all go and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what I also like is that the actress that plays the receptionist has been replying to people on Twitter during since the episode went out as well. So uh, yep. the actress is L- Louisa Core, and uh, yeah, she's been literally just jumping in and replying to fans on Twitter talking about that particular section about the <laughs> the, the hair change and the and the smile as well. Yeah, she uh, she replied to us saying, "Same receptionist. It's me on both episodes." Smiley face. Uh, what I've enjoyed most about that though, she uh, she's tagging baby cow into like everything she tweets about this episode at the moment. It's well, trying to get some more work in the APU, I think. Fair enough. <laughs> who who wouldn't want more work in the APU? Indeed. Um, so we're introduced to this time with Alan Partridge, uh, and, and then he adds, and Jenny Gresham in a sort of t- caring way, his intonation basically saying, which is important because she's a woman. <laughs> uh, and then, then he immediately talks over her, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I particularly enjoyed the script here. Alan says, a partridge is a bird, this is a woman, and a bloody good one. Yeah, defending her from an attack that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then Jenny goes on to say that today we're looking at the female fight back. How far have we come? And Alan says, not far enough. Uh, Jenny goes on to say, still more needs to be done. Alan says, a lot more. So, you know, he just, he just, he's just helping out with some factual points there about the show. <laughs> and then that's followed by him saying, me too, tash hag, me too. Which <laughs> is so brilliant. And then, and then uh, a, lo- yeah. a lovely subtle bit where he goes, and I'm told we also want to hear your views. <laughs> yes, brilliant. <laughs> that's great, that's great. Um, I think whilst uh, Alan and Jenny are having this exchange as well, there, there are a couple of camera check-ins with Simon at this point. And I did enjoy throughout this episode, I feel like there are more cutaways to Simon throughout the episode. I mean, yeah. he, and he's normally looking a bit perplexed and troubled as well. Yes, at this point, and when they first cut to him, he's actually checking something behind the digital and completely <laughs> oblivious <laughs> yeah. to the fact he's on camera. It's great. Oh, yeah, and then there's a brief exchange, isn't there, where he says, Yeah, I love women. <laughs> Couldn't eat a whole one. And Alan just goes, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alan hates that joke, but that's exactly the sort of joke Alan would definitely say on air uh, if we were watching Mid Morning Matters. Yeah. yeah, this is exactly what I was thinking. I think that this is obviously um, speaking to the fact that week on week, Simon's performance has been terrible. And I think Alan is just losing faith with him because he's probably been the one that's, as we probably said before, has got uh, has got Simon the gig. So is becoming increasingly annoyed that he's basically being humiliated week on week by Simon's poor performance. Yeah, I think clips like this show an emerging picture, which is uh, forming the basis of my predictor partridge. Uh, but more of that later. Um, also, you'll notice I think Simon is slightly more smartly dressed this week, and I wondered, is that to impress Lucy, or did he feel a shirt was necessary for a show about gender equality for some reason? It's almost like... No, it's no, almost no, like no. It's, it's the first one. one. It's, it's the first one. one. Is it? I'm Are you sure? sure? Yeah. It's all, it, it's, it's all, it's all, <laughs> I can imagine like a non-secretary from Alan where he's basically like, look, it, this one's about, uh, about equality, so uh, you know, put a shirt on. <laughs> just, just a sort of nonsense. I don't think Alan would ask him to do that, for one. <laughs> But don't you guys think the way Simon is dressing compared to how we've seen him at North North at Digital, it's like he's trying to dress smarter for telly anyway? Yeah, there's no uh, there's no nice legs shame about the face t-shirt like he <laughs> did for Comic these. Relief when there, he was there's outside. There's less of the, the wacky kind of, uh, you know, there's no <laughs> shirts made shirts. from a map or whatever. Yeah, there's none of that. Um, I think my, f- my first hi- highlight of the episode came when uh, Alan's a cappella group, The Quavers, are introduced uh, with a brief song where they call it This Time With Alan Partridge. <laughs> and then Jen- Jenny's like, with Alan Partridge? And, <laughs> yeah, and then so just good. the reaction where he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know why they sung that. Why would you sing that? And then just shakes his head like a madman trying to get them to stop explaining it. 
Yeah, that, that, that's what I was going to ask. Um, how did you read his facial expression? Because I think I agree. I think he's almost saying to them, don't say a word that I told you to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's quite ominous, isn't it? It's like, don't you fucking dare do anything to rat me out here. Also, this whole bit's a bit sort of reminiscent of his interactions with Glenn Ponder and his band back in yes. the Know Me Knowing You days, sort of back and forth that's very awkward and across a wide room. Yeah, even the rhythm of the way they deliver the with Alan Partridge at the end, that's a bit like how it happened in Know Me Knowing You, when they, they do it in like he wasn't ready for it. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to talk in more detail about the Quavers, but when I watched this, it did make me think it would have been nice to maybe have that kind of, and I'm guessing they don't want to sort of tread too much around using things like Glenn Ponder, which they've done previously, but having that kind of house band, because not to act as too much of a spoiler, but I just think the, the Quavers scene, this bit's okay, but the second part is just mind-boggling as to how this how this even got included however had they looked to incorporate some kind of um just brief intro each week with something like the quavers i think it could have worked but for me it it, this just didn't work at all and i didn't understand how it made the cut i think i'd agree because at least there is the payoff here of them singing with alan partridge and him trying to act like plead his ignorance to it whereas i don't feel like there is much of a payoff to the second time they're in but we'll we'll get to that Um, it's time for the first guest, isn't it? Dee Gilhooly. Yeah. Oh, uh, here's the feminist. Described as <laughs> a, a more palatable Caitlin Moran, uh, who he later dubs Mrs. Terrible. Um, she's, back on, <laughs> she's back on Twitter in real life, uh, relishing another mention in Partridge. Although, yeah, two although weeks in a row. They are arguably getting a little less complimentary as we go on. <laughs> yeah. Is Caitlin Moran the new Bill Oddie? <laughs> well, she's certainly oh, she... racking up the mentions, isn't she? Yeah, I think she'd have to be mentioned in every every episode of the six to to really nail that. But yeah, <laughs> and she's I have probably to... a bit more cognizant of what the reference means rather than Bill Oddie, who seems genuinely baffled by the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, see, I think that the quali- the quality of the humour in in references to famous people is in direct proportion to how aware they are of Partridge. The more <laughs> yeah. they the more they know Partridge, the less funny it is. <laughs> yeah, that that is the rule. <laughs> um, so Dee is played by Ellie White, um, who, like the Cockney chef later on, is from uh, Stafflet's Flats. Um, also, Clang, drop, name drop alert, uh, she and much of the cast of Staff Let's Flats were at the BBC screening of this, which makes a lot more sense now. Um, yeah. I also recommend uh, check out Mum's The Word on YouTube, which she did as a double act with Natasha Dimitriou, who is the sister of uh, Jamie, who appears in this episode and plays Staff. It's very funny. She's also in Inside Number Nine. Um, she's in the episode entitled "The Bill," which is one of my favourite episodes. Oh, so that's that's one of the best. I think. Which one's that? One. that? I love, love that Inside one. Number Nine. Which one's that? It's where they uh, argue oh, over no who pays. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh the yes. bill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that, oh, sorry. I thought you said the pill. No, the bill. That episode is incredible. Yeah. She's in that. Um, they cut to a clip of her talking at a TED event. They clearly couldn't get approval to use the TED logo. Yeah. Uh, maybe because of They've got placement. an X, though. They've got, got an X. They've got an X, though, so it's yeah, a TEDx because, event. Yeah, because yeah, TEDx events are the local ones and TED events are the national ones. Uh, so it's a, having a big red X is as TED as they could get. Um, there's an off-screen... Not, not to be confused with uh, our producer Jed's podcast called Jed Talks, of course. Yes. Two very different things. It's Available very to stress that. through all podcast providers. I'm also very wor- worried about what Jed X might be as well. Oh, God. Don't search it, for goodness <laughs> no, sake. <laughs> never search it. Never look. Um, there's an off-screen voice that says, great segment, everybody. That sounded like Simon Farnaby, uh, who played Sam. Oh, he uh, did, yeah, a voiceover. did a bit. I wonder if they've reused him there. Um, so all the this awkward sequence now where he's basically having a debate with Dee about makeup and so on, 
it's I feel like it's more cringe than than laughs really. The payoff with the makeup artist I think is really good, where he calls them operative or assistant, and they suggest they could be called artist, and he says, "Why not? One day." Yeah, I, I quite liked. I quite the only other bit I liked is when he's talking about um, Women's Hour and explaining that he was listening to Classic FM and then he heard music from an advert that he didn't like, so he sw- switched to Women's Hour and was surprised that it was actually good. Yeah, <laughs> like, I did. I did enjoy that. That was um, good. Although, yeah. I but then that, that's in the actual interview, isn't it? So th- at, at this point, we're still in the kind of off-camera chat before the interview properly starts, aren't we? So you did like the, the way that she comes on. I mean, I'm kind of with you on this, Adam, but also it's kind of, I think you have to allow a bit of, you. you of course Alan's going to have an awkward introduction with her, or is it a kiss, is it a handshake? And when he says, if she wants a kiss, I'll give her one. If not, I'll just retreat into the shadows. I think you need to allow a bit of exploration of Alan trying to get it right and getting it wrong, even if it's not mega funny. Yeah, no, I I do agree, but I just think I think that if you if you gave those two characters to any fan of Partridge and said what's going to happen next, most people would guess the actual thing that happened. And I think they've been particularly good elsewhere in the series, as as you can tell from our low scores in Predictor Partridge, of not doing the thing you would expect and doing something a little bit more. True. Um, her youth speak feels almost <laughs> as forced as his. Wicked to be yeah. here. Bang on, yeah. Kick ass, women. Doctor at 25, boom, and fair play. I mean, I, it, those bits almost m- maybe turned against her a little bit. It wasn't quite as cut, as cut and dried as she's in the right, Alan's in the wrong. She is a yeah. bit annoying. Which I think is good writing. I think if they literally just had them as polar opposites, it'd be, that would be lazy in itself, wouldn't it? If you, if you dislike Alan and, and unilaterally e- like her. E- Yes, I would, I would slightly, just slightly challenge that, and it's kind of backing up what Adam was saying, that I think because he doesn't contribute very much to this, and because she's a bit annoying, there's not a huge amount to take away from the scene. Yes, there are a couple of good jokes, but I think that neither one of those two characters is bringing a huge amount to the scene, and as you know, Adam says, there's no rug pull, you know where that joke's going to go, and I thought it, you could see it coming a mile off, and I think that that was kind of my issue with it. There was a couple of good jokes in it, but it didn't feel particularly strong. But, uh, but then what, one of my favourite gags in this this whole interview is when he's explaining to the viewers at home that her name is Deagle Hooley, not Deagle Hooley, and then at the very end he says, Deagle Cheers. I laughed every time at that. <laughs> that I was mean, good. It was obvious, but just the, the timing of it, it's still really funny. There's, so also, there's also the bit yeah. where, where he's, he's going, it makes me physically sick to say this, but I was miles <laughs> away, which shows this is a real problem in men. So it, it can't possibly just be his fault for being inattentive and basically drifting off once they start naming notable women in history. It has to have been a wider problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I would broadly agree with Nick on this section. Um, and we've discussed that there are nice little tidbits and little nuggets to find in the exchange. The detail that I liked watching it back was when D says uh, the fuel in the turbocharger. You can actually see, if you watch mm-hmm. Alan, you see him like internally mm-hmm. go, hang on, she's wrong. I'm not happy about this. I'm going to have to pick her up on it at a later point if you rewatch it. <laughs> But do you think there's an internal conflict because he wants to pick her up, but then he doesn't want it to look bad like he's he's interjecting in what should be a positive, empowering but as we interview know, segment for her? Alan yeah. can never not be right. If he knows yeah. he's in the right... Yeah, he, yeah, 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 totally. And, and yeah. I think if you look at his face, he goes through a couple of phases. One is she, <laughs> one is she makes that mistake and he's like, she's wrong. Then I, then I don't think he's thinking about it anymore. I think he goes off on a bit of a, a train of thought as they're talking about Ada Lovelace, Rosalind Franklin, Vera Rubin, etc., etc. And he's just kind of not interested. 
And it's only when he comes back to them that he's like, A, I was miles away. B, you were wrong. And I also thought that was quite a good, a good example of something that happens all over the world, especially online, where basically someone's making a valid point and then a man steps in to basically pull apart the least important part of it and kind of miss the gist entirely. And that's kind of what he's doing. That's where one of my favourite bits in this, which I feel like Jenny historically is always quite scripted and quite functional, but I think that she absolutely owns Alan here. She she says that uh, Alan doesn't have any uh, right to kind of take ownership of this issue. Just says, I don't think that's particularly helpful and looks at the camera in this way that suggests that Alan needs to get back in his box and he doesn't really have any, um, you know, he shouldn't really have any kind of say over an issue like this. But yeah, I found that, you know, when Deagle is talking... (laughs) (laughs) You mean D... Deagle. Deagle Deagle cheers Yeah Deagle <laughs> cheers But did you not Like it was funny I, I I thought that that was Quite a predictable way To, to end the segment But yeah did, did anyone else get a bit of a uh, Nina Vanya vibe From her as well Oh yes a little bit Yeah Well yeah. she's obviously A smart woman with an opinion And that's probably what Alan hates the most About this situation Yeah that and just, just Just the look Just the way she was styled And kind of uh, righteous, yeah. It just reminded me a bit Of that character you, that's all. you can tell as Alan Bumbles through this as well That he's getting increasingly annoyed That he feels like he's doing The right thing In that you know He's he's cutting across them To give what he thinks Is a useful perspective As a male uh, And kind of chipping in with things like they say amen he says a women and so you can see basically i think from his point of view he thinks well i'm doing everything right here so why am i still getting you know the shitty end of this stick um i did think a women was possibly the worst joke of the series like that's that's beyond a dad joke isn't it so yeah alan's kind of switching off at this point and i think i guess question to the group do you think he's thinking how can i wrestle this back to be about me because the I've been sexually harassed kind of comes out in kind of like a, <laughs> almost like a train of thought sort of thing. He's not making a point. He just seems to kind of blurt it out a little bit. I don't know whether he's actually, do we think this has actually happened? Is he just making it up? Is he trying to make it about him? That was my question. Is yeah, it all a lie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. obviously that's a joke, but he's been in a relationship with someone for two years. He had to comb their hair once, which he obviously took offence to. <laughs> he he was with that person to try and gain favour in work. That didn't happen. And so he's used this as an opportunity to, um, you know, contribute to the argument when actually he doesn't have anything to contribute. And Jenny is absolutely doing him as is Deagle. Um, I I like that uh, he takes a drink for dramatic effect before he drops the bombshell that all he did was brush her hair as well that made it much funnier so, but but Nick, you're taking it at face value that, that the hairbrushing and that relationship did happen, whereas I'm kind of of the school of thought, none of it happened. Yeah, it sounds, a lot of it he's sounds... Just make, he's just like clutching bits out of the air to make a story. It sounds like an amalgam of other memories, doesn't it? Like he, yeah. men- he mentions the whiplash like Lynn had in, in I'm hmm. Alan Partridge, you know? It sounds yep. like he's just bolted bits of his life together to make a sexual harassment story about hair combing. Is it just me having watched this two or three times now that a few of the lines in here sound like they've been ADR'd like they don't sound as though they're part of the conversation it's like there's a couple of lines from Alan that sound a little bit echoey when you're not when the camera isn't on Alan it's on D and it really sounds like they've been ADR'd in so I don't know whether there was some editing done from the original performance and then the other thing is that so just one more thing the this section is good it's okay but then i think from that i've been sexually harassed section is when it really falls off a cliff it totally loses Mm. momentum and yeah not great yeah there's there's kind of there's there's two-thirds of a laugh in him in in his despair at not getting to meet princess anne um i quite like that as as evidence yeah i 
that that's the, the that being the actual payoff to his problem with being harassed is quite funny in the APU I think but yeah it's it's I I think actually it's a shame just because I think the entrance with the car and the opening I yeah. think the expectations for how um Alan broaching me too was so high with that segment this interview although it was good I felt like they could have done a lot more with it and the, and the payoff and the conclusion to it could have been better. Yeah, and I think this episode kind of struggles to get the momentum back again after after this section. There are bits that are really good, but I just think it struggles a little bit to recover from this. Before we move on to the next scene, I did notice something which just kind of baffled me in, from a genuine real-life production point of view. In the script, uh, D says, even now in 2018... But in terms of what we've already seen from this series, for example, with John being dead, hashtag John gone, we know that he died in 2019. That's because it was filmed last year. They didn't know when it was going to go out, so well, that's why it says 2018. I also think it's just, right, an, over- I think it's just an oversight. I think they've okay, made a mistake okay. and not spotted it. Yeah, but that's the thing. I'm amazed because, yeah, I know they've, they've been filming it over about a one-year period and they filmed, they filmed all of it last year. But the fact they've got the date for John's death as 2019 on a screen behind Alan in episode two, and then we're on episode five, and they haven't either picked up on or thought to correct a line of script saying 2018, I just thought was genuinely quite surprising, because it's not like several people sit through an edit and actually sign off on a show. They don't, I did think, they don't film these linear, though. They might have filmed them out of Well, sequence. no, but that, that, was also, that was also a question. So is there also a potential that these episodes for whatever reason, may have initially been written with a plan to air in a different order. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was quite, quite Poss- a weird little... Possibly, uh... but it feels very much like they've been put out in the right order, so I think it's just a straight-up continuity error. Okay, thanks, Adam. That's that's the best I can do with that one. Um, <laughs> but we go, we go from an annoying sex pest to our very own resident text pest, Simon Denton's back on the digi-wall, saying... I love that. I thought saying, that was a very good intro. Yeah saying lovely stuff in response to absolutely nothing which has bemused Alan <laughs> I, I, I think he's a little bit I don't know that, is he annoyed because he's used that phrase in the past or is it just because we've watched it so many times that lovely stuff has transferred into the general language of Partridge I don't, is that a bit of an in gag for the viewer yeah like yes. Alan screws up his face like what are you seeing my lines for but obviously no. in the APU Simon wouldn't know that no yeah. I don't think I don't think Alan's annoyed that his line's been stolen because he barely used it before no I, that's yeah, not what, that's what I'm saying I'm saying yeah. like is that a bit of an easter egg for a Partridge yeah. fan oh I see you know yeah. that lovely stuff yeah. is like in yeah the, the in actual, general the usage actual reason, from him yeah. the actual reason Alan looks annoyed is because he's saying lovely stuff in response to something that that's completely inappropriate to, yeah, to yeah, respond right, that way. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, uh, how many steps from the uh, from the sofa to the digi wall this week? I'm I'm glad you asked me that, Tom. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I'd like to take you through this from episode one up to episode five. <laughs> join, us, join us on a very long journey. <laughs> uh, no, I I love the amount of detail to this. So episode one, it's fifteen steps to the digi wall. Episode two, we don't see it because Alan has to peg it over. Episode three, thirteen steps. Episode four, 12 steps. Episode five, this week, 11 steps. It's literally one step less each week. (laughs) That is fantastic. Brilliant. Um, So therefore we do know that these are being broadcast in the order that they were meant to be then. It's a great, yeah, great argument for it. Yeah. (laughs) 
um, it's a nice sequence where they give sort of examples of, uh, of have your cake and eat it TV, where they're basically reading out the Les Dawson style mother-in-law jokes, <laughs> claiming to hate it. There's, yeah. ec- there's an extra humour for us watching Alan overreact to these jokes, trying to dissect them. You know, things like the suggestion that a mouse would rather take its own life than meet yeah. the mother-in-law. Oh, to... that's contemptible. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love when Simon keeps saying, should we see them? And I was like, yes, I think we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, okay, but is that is that because Simon's wondering, oh, is this a bit un-PC to show it on the programme? Or is Simon nervous about his ability to work the digital technology? Well, can I, can I supersede, yeah, and supersede that with, is it bad that I found one of these jokes genuinely laugh out loud funny? <laughs> Was it a real groin wrecker? <laughs> yeah, it, when he said, I saw my mother-in-law getting beaten up by six men. My wife said, you're going to go and help? And I said, no, nope, six should be enough. <laughs> Oh, it works, doesn't it? Why do you yeah, keep saying yeah. it works? Stop, stop saying it works, mate. <laughs> it makes me sad. It probably makes you sad. Oh, at the end of the day, yes. But what about now? Okay, and here we go. That's Nick again. You hated the episode, but yet you're laughing your head off uh, yeah. just reminiscing over the script. Uh, I think this is one of about two more instances where I thought it was genuinely funny. Um, but that, yeah. it, it's a really strong bit, though, I think, this exchange with, with him and Simon. I yeah, really enjoyed it's it. It's quite quick fire as well, isn't it? Um, and also, there's there's an interesting detail to it in that Simon says people have tweeted in because remember the original premise for this they asked people to, to tweet in things that they wanted consigned to the bin sexism that they wanted to, they wanted <laughs> yeah. to so what's happened is he said people have tweeted in that they'd like to see mother in law jokes consigned to the bin but what he's doing is just reading out jokes so. Uh, who is from it? One person in Essex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, yeah. So, just John from Essex. Yeah. One person. So yeah. presumably, what's happened is someone has suggested mother-in-law jokes are outdated and sexist. And they should be in the bin, and they've ignored that and just read out the jokes somebody's posted to taunt that person. Yeah, and also the wife cops for it as well. Not just mother-in-law. Also, jokes about his wife. <laughs> Uh, implication that she's built like a navvy vile yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon very preoccupied with making sure these jokes land as well it's, it's like yeah. his, pur- his purpose has always been to be funny he's never really had to consider the downside of offensive jokes yeah yeah um, are we introduced to Cockney chef Ralphie Moore played by Jamie Dimitriou from Stafflet's Flats and many other things um, one of the new brand yes. of Cockney chefs who like nice food uh, and what's the list of uh, the Cockney party food that Alan goes for? Anyone well, got jelly, that? Well, I didn't make, write it down because I didn't think it was very funny, but jelly deals. <laughs> jelly deals, a platter of whelks, and a big bowl of shut your face. <laughs> um, Lynn's, Lynn arrives, isn't she? May I approach? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you already have. Yeah. have, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and coming up is another example of, uh, not exactly a catchphrase, but a phrase that I, I know Nick and I enjoy a lot, which is basically someone says something to Alan and he goes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> this time I booked, I booked you a haircut but the man you like isn't there anymore go on <laughs> <laughs> that's really good yeah. Uh, so yeah he's going to have to have his hair done by the person that done Lynn, does Lynn's hair uh, but as he says he doesn't want it to look like a cross between Margaret Thatcher's and a brown cloud that is brilliant uh, the, uh, and I, how did he describe her hair in Alpha Papa Oh, a photograph an of an explosion. A, a photograph of an explosion. Photograph of an explosion. Yes, that's it. So we, we've downgraded from explosion to brown cloud. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, it's very much the aftermath now. Just, just, just <laughs> yeah. trace radiation. The dust is settling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does anyone know what Alan's uh, particulars vis-a-vis haircuts are? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Volumizing over the crown or something? That's right. A short back and sides, teased and volumized over the crown, a.k.a. he's going bold. You've got it. You've got it. Yes. Uh, another great line about Lynn here. Uh, I presume everybody's got this. The sage yeah. line. <laughs> sage advice the only sage thing about Lynn is the colour of her clothes and the fact she smells of stuffing <laughs> uh, this, this joke I mean I think it's funny in its own right but it's made even better because you just sort of have her wombling ever closer to the camera <laughs> as he's describing her in the background completely oblivious <laughs> uh, we've lost Stab at that point now <laughs> um, it's the use of wombling <laughs> I that's I a really, good, good word oh, to use I genuinely enjoyed that that was actually good <laughs> uh, I was thinking continue. it was interesting that she has to ask for ask for permission to approach him is that because I would assume Alan is always so foul tempered when he's on set it's just not safe to approach without an ask first yes absolutely that he's, otherwise then we get battered Yes, and, uh, and and it's important that she gets the haircut news to him so she understands that she does need to cross the line of fire. Um, they cut back to the chef, who's saying, uh, even Alan could bang one of these up, to which Alan says, do you mind? I use contraceptives. Now, firstly, that doesn't make sense, does it? Secondly, are we to believe that Alan is still sleeping with premenopausal women? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly in my notes. We know he didn't use contraceptives with uh, Jill, so... That's yeah, he true. had to use conversation to keep the wolf from the door, so <laughs> to speak. I uh, I like the bit. There's the little detail that when he co- when he comes in and says, "Do you mind? I use contraceptives." That smells good, and just looks down at it and stares. <laughs> and he's uncomfortably close to Jenny at that point yeah. as well. Yeah, he's he's, close, he's bit... often too close to Jenny. Like when yeah. they're on the sofa, he's always leaning in, which I feel yeah. is it's a bit of a one show trope. Well. But yeah, very close. Um, there are instances peppered through this episode of Alan doing things that you really shouldn't in general, but particularly in an episode that's entirely about gender equality <laughs> and hashtag yes. me too. Yeah, I mean, um, especially yeah, totally. at, the end, at the end of this section, we'll get onto it. He, he kind of he kind of plays the role of a bit of a domineering husband at a dinner party or a, a party, yeah. doesn't he, sort of yeah. thing. A very, very sort of, come on, we're going. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so uh, <coughs> the the chef tries to get him to eat oysters uh, with disastrous consequences. Um, he describes an oyster as an octopus that's blown its nose. Uh, sorry, or it looks like an octopus has blown its nose or the ghost of a tongue. Uh, we'll certainly put that to a poll uh, to you, the listener, uh, to try and figure out which one an oyster is more like uh, results next week. <laughs> uh, question to the group. Uh, do you like oysters? I've never had one. Really? Uh, no, I hate them. Yep, same. Really? Oh, I think they're bloody lovely. I love an oyster. So hang on. You I, won't eat I, an I, egg. I can't go near you them. You won't eat an but egg, that's but you'll <laughs> eat a snotty oyster. Well, I like the taste of oysters. I don't like the taste of egg. I mean, mm. that's that, that, that's baffling. That's, it's a simple staggering. 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 <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Culinary Bombshells with Tom Stab. <laughs> or the detective series Egg and Oyster. <laughs> would watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely would watch. <laughs> but get not eat. Yeah, get that on the commissioning list along with Ice Pups. In fact, actually, while we're on the subject oh, of Ice Pups. Oh, we're not on the no, subject of Ice Pups. We've got to move on. Oh, okay. Uh, Alan also a podcast. Alan also jokes that he's uh, ice pods. No, ice uh, pods. <laughs> Alan jokes that he's also allergic to Channel Five. I thought he got picky quick, didn't he? For four weeks on yes. the BBC, and he's turning down Channel Five. Yeah, and yeah. Again, he North Norfolk yeah. Digital and uh, UK Conquest was fine just before. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, oh, and Ruth's back now. So another segment of Ruth uh, with a very slightly different yeah. joke from last week. Just before we delve into the Ruth section properly, I was going to say, I did genuinely buy into the slight bit of dramatic tension here when you're trying to find out, is Alan going to have an immediate allergic reaction? What's going to happen yeah. to him? Because I think a lot of things have been unexpected in this series. So I was half expecting him to collapse there and then or his lips to immediately become massive or something like that. Yeah. Um, also, I'd, I'd say I think for a comedic actor of Jamie Dimitri's chops, he's just had his own series on Channel Four. A little bit underused, I feel, in this uh, in this mm, section yeah. or in this episode. Like they could have found anyone for this section. Why bother with him? Like if you're going to yeah. not really use him very much. That's exact exactly what what I was uh, about to say. But you, you've said it. But it just the character is barely in the scene. He doesn't have anything really of, of note to contribute other than the fact that he gives Alan an oyster, which, okay, is integral to the plot. But he doesn't have any kind of funny lines. There's no character quirks. And they've got someone in who is a name and, you know, an aspiring comedian. I just thought this is symptomatic of the whole um, episode where there are characters that, frankly, just aren't particularly funny. And this was one of them. I think you'll find the thing about them having relatively big name actors in the comedy world, though, is because anybody would like kill to be a, a part of Partridge history at this point, wouldn't they? So, yeah, this yeah, is that's, like, that's, this doesn't surprise me. This is like, do you want to be a stormtrooper in Star Wars? Isn't it? To, yes, to the exactly, comedy yeah. community. Do you yeah, want to be enough. Chef Ralphie and have to say sorry for Alan? I mean, that's yeah, the word I, I was do, looking for. I do also agree that Jamie was underused. I think they could have, yeah. they could have, yeah. they could have done more with him. But I, I see how it's happened. Uh, yeah, but in summary, I'm teasing. Food's great. Let's go. <laughs> and then uh, Alan just kind of drags Jenny away from yeah. the chef. <laughs> and she looks quite shocked when he does yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah. More great facial acting from uh, Susanna Fielding there. And um, then Ruth's uh, reporting from the Palace of Westminster, which is worn out by the 600 members inside her. Particularly yeah. gross way of putting it. Um, I do enjoy their tussling, Ruth and Alan, but these segments are not varying enough week on week, I don't think. Just a quick point. Before they go onto the sofa, Alan, they're doing the sort of uh, bit to camera and Alan sort of 
very quickly moves off screen, almost like a run. Did anyone else think that he was going to be sick or shit himself at that point? Yes, I did. Yes, I thought we were going to get a... <laughs> and then, bang, all of a sudden he's on the sofa. <laughs> in, a way, in a way, that would have been better than... Obviously, it's just another gag about the size of the studio, the fact one of the presenters has to leg it from one part to the other to make the continu- continuity of the link go on. Yeah. yeah. Um, my worry with these roof segments is that I'm in, I'm enjoying them, and, and in fact, by extension, lots of the show, because I'm expecting a narrative payoff, and I'm starting to think that that payoff may never come. Um, I'm sort mm. of, I think it's more funny because in my mind, it's building towards something that's going to actually happen, but I don't know that it definitely is anymore. You know, I'd really agree with that, and I think that's particularly why Predictor Partridge, for example, has been really tough because. I don't feel like there is much of a narrative arc at all, unless if loads of things pay off next week. It's almost a bit like we're watching a sketch show and you have returning characters via segments every week. So it's a bit like, you know, oh, Ruth Ruth on the screen disagreeing with Alan and Simon with no files found at the Digibal. It's like Fast Show characters or something. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there isn't there isn't a real narrative play out that we get, that we're to, yet to see. I do kind of agree, but um, it's a gag that is being repeated, I suppose. But I still do find the like Adam says, I do find these exchanges still fun and funny, and I don't really mind if it doesn't necessarily have a big payoff at the end of the series. I've still just in general enjoyed them. If a payoff comes, great, fine, it will be funny, I'm sure. But I almost don't mind if it doesn't. I guess it speaks to, to how people appreciate different comedies as well. I do really value uh, a good narrative week on week. And I think I remember there was one series of Peep Show that came out where I noticed that they said it, the episodes were filmed so that they could be shown in any order. And at I that think point, that was the last series, I think. No, it was, it was somewhere in the middle, I think. Oh, and, was it? And, okay. and, I, and I remember yeah. at that point thinking, well, I'm going to enjoy this about half as much because I, I like to know where things are going. And if they're not going anywhere over six episodes, then it's a sketch show more or less isn't it that's what i think like with if you think about the recurring characters we've had previously if you take someone like glenn ponder recurring character only on screen for at most 90 seconds but week on week it was a different take there were different jokes there were different elements brought in this is a one-trick pony that is repeated time after time and it's not that it's not funny it is funny and i did smile at it i just hold partridge humor up to a different level than than this which is that of simple sketch writing you know finding a you know formula and repeating it it's not not funny i just think it's it partridge humor should be something better and there should be a bit more to it than this there wasn't really a huge narrative in in mid-morning matters that was effectively sketches i was gonna i think mid-morning matters though um for me is a perfect articulation of it's less than half an hour it's about nothing. It doesn't really have any substance in the same way that uh, this time doesn't really appear to have that you know much kind of substance to it. Mm. But I think because it's so scaled down, because it's just two characters, there isn't much of a world, that's fine. Whereas I feel like with this time, when I first saw it, it's half an hour, it's a much broader world of characters, but it's not really building up to or laddering up to anything else. There doesn't appear to be much of an arc, there doesn't appear to be much more that they're kind of uh, building to, and I think that when it's half an hour and you've got all these additional characters, it should do. I, that said, I, w- I would say in Mid-Morning Matters, although it's very slight and it's in chunks, there is quite a lot of narrative progression. They get, they get a new boss... Uh, mm. Angela and Alan uh, deteriorate and break up and then he has to give over the dog psychic Simon's having problems with his girlfriend uh, and those things develop even even in a in a show that exists in one single room 
yeah, I really, enough. I really hope that they're gonna they're gonna make episode six narrative heavy and it seems from the synopsis i've read like they will but yeah, i just yeah, yeah, i yeah. just don't know if every single thing that's happened through this series is going to get a payoff uh, and i think perhaps perhaps the ruth thing may not um so, so the only distinction this week really is that uh, alan makes the same point that jenny did uh ruth <laughs> yeah. agrees with her but won't agree with him and his incredulousness makes the scene for me i think i think that 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 pulls it back uh then the bonus that he can't even get her to admit that she's happy about her own engagement uh, is a nice little payoff as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I, yeah. I, I, am, yeah. I am kind of growing to hate Ruth a bit as a character, though, because I think I enjoyed it most either when Alan when Alan has a win with it, or I think the Ruth seg- segment I've enjoyed the most is probably with a time delay, just because then the gag was a bit different, and I enjoyed the bafflement his character portrayed when all of a sudden it was in time when she was speaking to Jenny. But mm. yeah, I just don't feel there's enough. If they, if there was a bit more variation to it, I think I'd enjoy it more. Entirely fair. Um, so we head back to the studio, uh, during his description of the quavers, Alan's lips are visibly swollen, I think, for the first time. So yeah. uh, the oyster magic is taking effect. Uh, we find out that he tried another group before the Quavers who turned out to be pagans who didn't like roads. Uh, and also <laughs> that one of the Quavers, Kim, has restored a sports car. Jenny wants a ride in it. Alan says, we'll, we'll, we'll chat later. So question to the group, why? Well, Jenny, do- <laughs> Jenny, Jenny doesn't want a ride in it. Jenny's like kind of throwing that out there as a kind of a... <laughs> I'd love a ride in it. Alan's taking it literally, and there's obviously something going on there that you don't want to go on a ride in his car. Um, but I don't know, maybe he's just into dogging. I, I, I've, got, I've got three three theories I thought were maybe likely. One is just that, the three. Just, just, just the, three theories. You know, I mean, people are listening for deep dives, and I've, I, I've, I've, I've divin deep. Um, has, he, has he been after a ride in Kim's car and can't get one? So his, his note to Jenny is basically, don't even try, because they won't let me in the car. Is Kim a drink driver? Or does Alan just not like Jenny muscling in on his friends? Uh, we we, we, we can't possibly know, but I like to think there's something more sinister and you don't want to go yeah. for a ride in Kim's car because yeah. he will take you into a field and expect something. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think there's something dark and sexual about this that we don't yeah, want to get into. Always assume dark and sexual. Yeah. <laughs> that's the name of your autobiography, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. That's, uh, no, that's the name of my uh, solo podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Would not listen. Oh, no. <laughs> Would shower afterwards. Um, a very, very tenuous link between the Quavers and the Sex Pistols on Bill Grundy is made here. It's a nice callback to Shona McGough on Knowing Me, Knowing You, which was a, a direct link to the Sex Pistols, but a, a very weak segue uh, between the two subjects. And there's also obviously the direct Grundy, uh, Bill Grundy reference in Mid Morning Matters series two as well, when Alan has the kids in the studio and loses his shit, which uh, obviously yeah. leads to Scissor Isle because that half of the episode it was called Grundy. Um, but I just feel like, so yeah, you're right, there's the Shane and McGough bit as well, but I feel like are the Gibbons brothers maybe obsessed with uh, the, this infamous Bill Grundy sex pistol moment because perhaps it's a key reference for them when it comes to Alan and the way that Alan is a, basically a terrible broadcaster and always loses control of the situation in the way that Bill Grundy did. And infamously, that kind of led to his downfall as a broadcaster. So I did wonder, are they trying to layer a bit of foreshadowing in here, perhaps? Because it's quite an oddly specific cultural moment for a show like this time to reference. Like We haven't seen them do anything so specific in previous episodes. So whether whether there's more to be read into this, 
We'll find out in a week, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, also notable that when they cut, uh, when the camera's cut off, Jenny's smile is dying instantly now, quicker oh, than yeah. it ever did before. <laughs> yeah, I noticed uh, that. And, and I feel very much like we're building to something with, with that reaction. Uh, well, just quickly on the Quavers, did anybody research uh, whether there is a, any real axe called the Quavers? No. No. I'm pleased to report there is, and they are averaging 150 monthly listens on Spotify. Massive. Their most recent, their most recent album was called Fell Asleep on the Train, I think came out in 2012, and features, appropriately for those of us in London, a track called Circle Line, although the band are very much from America. I just have to say that. So Alan's mouth's gone chubby. Uh, Lynn says, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10. Alan says, I don't want it on a scale of 10. You've panicked me now. Uh, Lynn's also panicking, saying, I don't have any adrenaline. And Alan says, I know that. I've seen the way you move, which is brilliant. I love that line. That is so good. I didn't catch that line properly till the second viewing either, and I very much enjoyed it. I also love... I also love her reaction where she's just like, ooh, like that, <laughs> like that looking away. Uh, just a very quick bit on the subtitles watch here. When Alan says my mouth's going chubby, isn't it? On the official iPlayer subtitles, it says choppy instead of chubby. Unbelievable. Oh, you can't get the staff. No. Um, he um, insists on carrying on rather than being taken off the show, as he put it. I think basically yeah. he worries if he leaves that studio during a broadcast, he's never coming back. Yes. Can we get a medic for Alan? Yeah, he says, uh, I don't want to be taken off the show, it's fine, I can continue. He'll do anything to carry on broadcasting. I also enjoyed the bit where um, Alan was talking about the time that Lynn fell in nettles. Just thought that, <laughs> that as a kind of visual gag was quite funny, just imagining Lynn falling into nettles. <laughs> was, it by, was it by the station or something as well? Yeah, I can only imagine it's like the time that she trapped her hand in the car door and was uh, swearing like anything. Oh yeah, what about the time you <laughs> fell in nettles at the railway? <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to know more about that. Um, he, try, he tries to get back into the swing of things, but he's lost a bit of mojo. Describing the Sex Pistols, he goes, Sex Pistols just out of tune and spitting, weren't they? Which doesn't really make much sense. Uh, <laughs> and then there's some lovely teasing of him hiding his giant lips behind his hand. You occasionally get a glimpse. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that's great, the fact they don't go straight in with the full horror. You can just... I think the very first time you see them when they're properly chubbed up it's a side angle so you can't see them properly and then when they come back they're behind his hand so you can see it's there but i thought that was very good that they didn't go straight in with it yeah i thought that the the editing and sort of camera work was quite good and very clever about sort of hiding the fact you can you can you can just about tell that his lips have gone a bit chubbed up Mm. but yeah they're kind of hiding it through the camera uh editing and camera work and i thought that was really good um, the Sex Pistols clip is sort of retro justified by the fact that he's now going off on a VT discussing swear words. Um, there's a bit where Jenny says, hopefully after, hopefully you'll have to wash your mouth out afterwards. And he says, my dad made me do that once. I had bubbles in my sick. That joke wasn't very good. I didn't, well, you're all laughing now. I didn't think that joke was particularly good, but what it does oh, do, it. what it does do is force his lips into the open, which is where the real humour is supposed to come from. Um, another thing I noticed at this point, for a, for a Me Too episode, this has veered wildly off topic, hasn't it? We've got Cockney Chefs, Sex Pistols and an acapella group, all of which, I mean, the acapella group sing a, a, a mildly out-of-date feminist anthem, but none of them have really got much to do with Me Too, have they? I was expecting this this episode to stay very much on topic like the John Baskell death episode did. Yeah, it, it's more like a special on swear words than it is on Me Too, isn't it? There's yeah. more time. To, if you take into account the Sex Pistols bit as well, there's more time devoted to that. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, is there a, actually any reference to this being a Me Too or sexism special well, at the yeah, top of the episode? In, uh, Do they well, say specifically the top, this is a... Uh, this is a an episode about this 
Um, I know at the end, uh, Jenny says to um, Simon, have we had any more tweets about sexism? Yeah, but I just think... Yeah, are, and Jen, Jenny we... says about it's the it's the female fight back at the top of the show as well. I think okay. it's just a section, though. I don't think it's... It, yeah. It's just a section. It's not like the whole episode is supposed to be no. solely covering that. It's like the one show would cover four, five different things. This is a section. I don't think so. I, th- I think this runs through the whole show. They have they they have tweet they have tweets through the show. The song the Quavers do at the end is supposed to be about female empowerment. Um, a lot of the guests are, are sort of uh, leading academics and females in their field. I, but <laughs> well, I just one think, guest. <laughs> uh, well, sure, and the Radio Four presenter as well. Um, and but I think that yeah, and this is the whole point why Alan comes on with a Rolls Royce full of babes to say that's not okay anymore Ooh, and that's yeah. what we're going to and that's what we're going to yeah. that's what we're going to discuss on the show. Yeah. yeah, I think it very much is set up like that. But at the yeah. same time, sure yeah, at the same time about 40% of the show is made up of things that have nothing to do with the theme, so it's kind exactly. of Exactly. It's, it's it's a bit of both. It's weird. But perhaps mm. perhaps that's the joke. Oh yeah, quite possibly. They, they've got, they've <laughs> oh, got wildly yeah. off track as they like to do. Um, so Alan's at the British Library uh, and he is feeling quite sympathetic to people who would like to turn it into a big laser quest, but not so much people who would turn it into a car park. Uh, he also says, <laughs> what's the point of libraries when you have Wikipedia, ignoring the fact that libraries also have fiction? <laughs> and it, I mean, Very good. It is after that introduction, at this point where the episode pretty much ends for me, this no scene... disagree strongly disagree. You know what? I I, pr- I had this in my notes that I I just knew Nick was going to clock off from from here on out. <laughs> well, but Nick, okay. he I'll, hates in which, case, in which case, I'll I'll happily sit back and uh, let you flag when the funny moments are, and then I can be the voice of everyone else that was watching that uh, episode and explain to you why it isn't funny. So please tell me why was it funny? Uh, and Nick's words, everyone else, even though I'm sure I've seen messages, some people, and I'm not saying I agree, some people have definitely said this episode was their favourite. Yeah, and we'll mm. get to that in and the feedback episode. <laughs> <laughs> See, so a little, a little, a little peek behind the uh, behind the curtain. Nick doesn't do, doesn't look at any of the feedback for the episodes before we actually record them, so has no idea what people are saying. <laughs> That's, Am I wrong? Largely, <laughs> He's not denying true. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Alan says, is, is there broad agreement on that? Well, I, I, had to tur- I, I turned on notifications on Twitter recently. My goodness. What does Continue. that mean? <laughs> Please elaborate. Just, so, just, just so many opinions. <laughs> we head into the library and uh, immediately a bit that is brilliant at the start of this is when Alan starts taking the stairs and then immediately yes. looks over the handrail and sees that there's an escalator and gets annoyed. Yes, <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Uh, shortly after, he said that uh, libraries are churches for the mind or, to put it another way, libraries are cathedrals for the mind. <laughs> and yeah. you can tell from his face, once again, he knows he's let himself down, but he just yeah. carries on. Yeah. I, I did think we could have had another good poll out of this, uh, which could be, what would you rather libraries were turned into, a big laser quest or a car park? But I think laser <laughs> quest would win that with a landslide, oh, surely. Yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah. although yeah. a car park might alleviate some of the traffic congestion around in and around Paradise. So there, there is that. <laughs> Wait, isn't he outside the British Library? So are you calling the Euston Road Paradise? <laughs> no, no. London, London, no. You're saying London is Paradise. <laughs> please, please, S-H-I-T please look over your head for the point. Um, yeah. 
come on, Doctor be real. I mean, I would agree with Nick that certainly the first half of this sketch is bizarre and very much the point yeah. where oddness overtakes funny. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. Dr. Hilary Couchman, uh, who also seems to undergo personality transplant halfway through this scene. She is absolutely timid as you like to begin with. And by the end, she's she's arguing with Alan quite openly. Um, but yeah. You, yeah, when they're taking the tour around the library, there's a nice callback to uh, great action back when he was shopping in Tandy in previous parts. So, yeah, so here he says smooth action. In Tandy, it was nice action. Yeah, yeah. yeah but in Tandy, it's not played out for two minutes. And that's why that's better. <laughs> Nick, Nick, I thought you said you were going to stay silent through this bit. No, and I thought you were going to tell me when the funny bits were. Oh, you haven't got to it yet. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. In fairness, <laughs> we're just all the bits that weren't funny then. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carry yeah, yeah. on, carry on. I, th- I think I'll, we're I'll stay quiet. I think we're agreed that this bit wasn't particularly funny. Um, yeah, what is the significance of him being shut in the library? Is he? I presume he's meant to be aroused. That's why he has to speed past her when she releases him. That's no, I what I read from it. It's really? some kind of weird fetishism. Yeah. I, just I, think don't, it's I don't bit, know what else it's supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the point, really, isn't it? It's surreal, but we don't know why, and that means it's not particularly great. Because I thought what they were going to do with it was then he would just try and manually push it back himself, and then kind of emerge from the racking triumphant. But instead, it's just let me out, and then just walking off with a yeah. it's kind of a half whole, grin on his face. The whole I think. bit before that is weak, but I still did chuckle when he went yeah. And then as she opens it, he just walks out normally. (laughs) Also thought his uh, pronunciation of Schwarzenegger here feels too much like asking for a laugh. I thought it was a bit too uh, too obvious. Um, There's eight seconds of silence uh, in this scene as well. Uh, As the voiceover confirms, he's more interested in the building's engineering than the books. Um, and then we're on, yep. we're on to the half of the scene that I think is definitely stronger, not necessarily strong, but stronger. Um, he learns that the protocol is that the curator handles the material, so he's not allowed to touch any of the books that they're looking at, and that's something that keeps coming back throughout the scene. Um, and he's absolutely incredulous that he's not allowed to touch the pages when Tony Robinson can. Uh, yeah, I love that uh, he says, I've even seen them let Tony Robinson have a fiddle. <laughs> I thought, question to the group, they're both Labour supporters with long comic pasts. Do you think Coogan and Robinson are pals? Oh, yeah, I reckon so. I'm not so sure. I was wondering about this. Uh, I meant to have a look into Easily Distracted, but I ran out of time. So, not sure if there's any mention. Um, And he's suddenly surprised when Dr. Couchman reels off some swear words. I mean, what was he expecting? It's sort of another example of his being out of touch. He can't seem to tolerate a professional female swearing, even when it's entirely in context. Yeah, Uh, I I did enjoy the way... uh... (laughs) That with his kind of shock and then he's trying to get back on track so he starts with whoa 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 where did this and then just goes on into it. I thought that was really good uh, and he claims that he believes profanities are probably most rife in Manchester and Liverpool uh, <laughs> she says no from across the whole country but they obviously bleep the cunt part of country which is uh, very good kind of like the audio version of them pixelating and unpixelating the wrong faces in Sizzle Isle yeah. I thought yes. Shakira yeah <laughs> yeah <Yep>. Shakira <laughs> Um, I'm keen to understand if any of the bits that you've mentioned thus far, these have been the funny bits. Yeah, we've been laughing. They're great. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the next fine. bit yeah. is when um, <laughs> she mentions that uh, the certain book that she found was from 1295. Alan immediately jumps in. That's how much these trousers cost. Yes. But I don't understand why that's funny because Alan wouldn't wear £12.95 trousers. Yeah. Like, I think he would. I'm with Nick on this he one. Wouldn't. No, no, I'm with Nick on this. Italian loaf- he wears stitched Italian loafers. He yes. doesn't buy plastic shoes that you can buy in a market. He wouldn't wear £12.95 trousers. 
Yeah, I think yeah, he would. I'm with Nick on this. There is a whole segment when he talks about a jacket he bought in Capri in Mid-Morning Matters and talk about how expensive it was. Oh, yeah, we worked. Alan wearing, we worked Alan out wearing that was £12.95 95 trousers is, is not right. Yeah, no. he's on a BBC salary. He's even said himself he's not going to eat a penguin. This has already yeah, been established. That's why sure, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, no, it isn't funny. Surely it's notable because, I mean... That's what these trousers cost. It's because he got a bargain. He doesn't yeah, exactly. spend twelve ninety five. He got yeah, a bargain, yeah. and that's why he's he's thought to mention it. If, yeah. if you're wearing twelve pound ninety five trousers, Adam, you will know about it. They will I'm be wearing... itchy and possibly flammable. <laughs> I'm wearing also, I'm wearing nine pound ninety nine trousers, and they are a comfy fit. Also, I think all clothes are flammable. Mm, no, I think you'll find most clothes of a decent standard will um, uh, meet certain uh, levels that will ensure that if you're near a fire, they won't go on fire. Hmm. Can we test it? With Nick. On Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Alan, Alan grabs How Dr. Couchman. How do you Couch- set fire to your hands? <laughs> <laughs> Alan grabs Dr. Couchman's uh, arm, again, not practising what he preaches when it comes to respecting women. Um, and then she starts talking about Henry Fuckerbeger, doesn't she? <laughs> uh, which she claims back, yep. back in the old days, uh, your surname would, would relate to things that you did uh, and that fuck used to mean hitting or striking uh, Alan says yeah hence the phrase let's hire some Albanians to fuck him up um, I love that the phrase the well known <laughs> phrase I did, I did look into the origins of fuck uh, Matt Miller for Esquire reported in 2015 that Dr Paul Booth of Keel Uni found the name Roger fucked by the navel uh, in 1310 which is believed to be <laughs> believed to be quite literally the first fuck given ever um, and, it, and it, 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 it was also confirmed that back in the day it did mean to strike or to hit so uh, that, that part checks out um she teaches Alan yes. the word Rantalian? Yep. Uh, and that is the, the definition that she gives is real. And also the book that she is uh, giving the definitions from is also a real book, that uh, the Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue. Uh, not only a real book, but a real book that is legitimately stored in the British Library as well. So Rantalian, the definition, the scrotum is so relaxed as to be longer than his penis. Um, so question to the group. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of any famous examples? I've got one, but that's only because I read it on the internet. Well, can I get... Uh... <laughs> Please tell us about your famous Rantalian. Yeah, what do you mean? Uh, Michelangelo's David. Ah. Again, I only read that on the internet. His balls are longer oh. than his knob. And I read that that was because, back in the day, a bit of bonus, bonus scrotal <laughs> knowledge for you. <laughs> but back in the, back in the day, um, when statues like that were made, uh, a deliberately small penis uh, showed humility and modesty in the person. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and so arguably, really sh- so pe- pe- people who people who had, <laughs> people who had statues made would ask for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> peace of mind. Uh, peace of mind. Did anyone note the uh, the two other names that uh, that the doctor gave uh, for penises that were used back in the day? Both lovely terms: beard splitter, oh, beard splitter, and arse opener. At <laughs> <laughs> which point, Alan says, "Alan says, come on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I also enjoyed that when she's doing the list of swear words earlier in this scene. You have. Piss cock shit wank, so close to a cock piss partridge, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, a lovely callback. Um, and also, surely, it... surely they would have bleeped ass as well. No, ass is fine. No, don't bleep an ass. Okay. <laughs> um, she asks him what he thinks to huffle means. <laughs> he, he gives it. He gives it a go. He imagines himself huffling between a lady's breasts. Uh, he's way off the mark. Um, but I thought actually, I, I, you almost side with him because. Uh, 
she's laughing at his guess, but he gave it a good go. Uh, she goes, yeah. she goes, oh, it's another name for Felatio, as if he should have known. Uh, so he's he's rightfully annoyed. Uh, and, and that's like her wacky game. Oh, I like yeah. to ask everyone this. I, yeah, I always, I always find it amusing when I ask that question, what answer I'll get. And he goes, well, that's an interesting part of the protocol. <laughs> Bringing back the, pro- <laughs> the protocol again. Um, uh, and then obviously uh, he signs off by calling her Dr. Hilary Mantle, who uh, is the author of Wolf Hall. <laughs> yes. Now, now, do you know why Wolf Hall is bang on the money for Alan's character? Uh, oh, uh, Thomas Cromwell. Yes, because I think they've definitely established at the very least across Mid-Morning Matters that Alan is obsessed with Cromwell. So Wolf Hall is a fictionalised account of uh, Cromwell's uh, rise to power. Wow. So, yeah, uh, that's definitely the Gibbons tying the APU together nicely there. That's a nice. great detail. And obviously uh, him giving her the wrong name on its own is is relatively funny, but then gives her the excuse to, to correct him and say Couchman. He thinks uh, he's been given another puzzler, tries to guess tries <laughs> yes, to guess what's, that was great. what scatological or sexual meaning Couchman might have. He, one who likes to squat over another, and she goes, no, it's my surname, which I of thought course. was very good. <laughs> of course. Nick, that was another funny bit. Yeah, that uh... was funny. Uh, no, I, I didn't think it was that funny, personally. But Which yeah, leads, each, each their own. It leads straight into another funny bit where he says, I've headed to one of the UK's <laughs> elite universities. I'm in Hull. <laughs> now, I, yeah. I checked, Come on, that's I, good. I checked yeah, that, the stats. Was, that was good, that was good. I checked the stats on Hull Uni. In the last 11 years, Hull Uni has dropped from the top 40 to the mid-90s in league table performance. Ooh, oh dear. Uh, nice bit where Alan claims to know all about the limbic system until he's cut short by uh, the doctor. He says, yeah, exactly as we were saying earlier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit like when Simon gives away, he practices yeah. He practices speech in the car yeah. and stuff like that, isn't it? That's really good. <laughs> yeah, that, that again, probably one of the last chinks of humour. And then after this point, it, to- <laughs> it totally dies. Uh, do you not enjoy when he says the countryside people are just better? Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, a bit or, ju- of that. or just it's, agreed. It, yeah, it was like it raised a, it raised a smile, but this scene overall, I just I, I wanted so much more from it, and it just felt it just didn't deliver. Um, I don't know if anyone disagrees with that, but well, I think I ser- I'd like I th- to, I'd like to hear the argument that says this was funny. I certainly agree this wasn't hilarious in the way that sections of previous episodes have been. I wouldn't say it's not funny, though. Yeah, I agree. Again, again is, is an issue with this. I mean, I thought this was broadly funny, but you could kind of see where the joke was going in terms of he swears and swears too much that it's not fit for broadcast. But like we talked about earlier, it's it's all about... I think we've got such high expectations with the payoff for all of this, so... Obviously, because we're all about the detail here, we have gone in and reversed the audio of what Alan says, which which gets broadcast backwards on TV. Yeah, and uh, we'll dro- we'll drop it in in a second. But I would I would agree that the payoff of that gag, having gone to the effort of reversing the audio, <laughs> it's not really worth it. But uh, anyway, uh, producer Jed, <laughs> if you could drop that in now, Mrs. Magoo, I'm trying to get through. Good, I think. Fucking done. Rantalian. Yeah. Right, it's on green now, go, stop fucking dithering. So yeah, I mean, that is funny, but to your point, they've gone to all that effort, and that could have been a Mm. really, really good joke, and like, you know, something for the fans, and it just could have been a nice little kind of Easter egg, but as I think we've all just heard, it's it's fine, I just don't think it's particularly funny. I think the main bit is that his use of the word Rantalian, I think in the APU, he's literally learnt that word maybe the day before. Oh, he learned it in the segment before, yeah. Well, I know, but I mean, in in the APU, they might have filmed that the day before or whatever, and now he's using it in his imagined scenarios. But yeah, that is 
the detail to pull out. There's quite a good additional, uh, maybe not an Easter egg, but a good a, a good reference before you even get to the bit where he goes off the deep end swearing. When when he's asked to imagine that he's in a car getting annoyed by someone and he can't swear, he says, uh, "Mrs. Magoo, I'm trying to get through now." I believe that's a reference to Mr. Magoo, a cartoon character who's comically short-sighted. But the smart joke yeah. here is that Alan references the male short-sighted character, but's made it a Mrs. himself, showing an assumption that the oh, driver, yeah. the driver that annoys him, would be female. Yeah, I've got a similar note. Basically, go. The doctor says he's done something wrong. He's done something to annoy you. And in this scenario, Alan immediately flips <laughs> it to being a woman. Yeah, that's a great spot. I didn't make that. Um, when they cut out of the uh, the backwards uh, the backwards recording, you just hear him go, "You fucking knob," like that. <laughs> Presumably, still to the imaginary Mrs. Magoo. Well, I think you hear. I think the way it's cut, that you hear just like King Knob, so you know exactly what he yeah. said. But yeah. yeah, and again, that that's a bit of fun. Um, back in the studio, uh, Alan's claiming there will be an internal investigation about the state of his lips. Uh, they cut to uh, the, co- <laughs> the Cockney chef, who is looking extremely nervous at this point. Um, I-, I made in my notes he is bricking it when he says appropriate action will be taken. <laughs> yeah, this is the point for me, much like Nick, who arrived there a little bit earlier, where the episode completely falls off a cliff for me. Yep, I think that's fair. Um, Simon has migrated to the sofa, which I think is notable, uh, given what we know about next week's episode. Also, I think this is his first direct interaction with Jenny, uh, where she asks him any final messages on social media about sexism. He says, nope, they're mostly about Alan's lips now. (laughs) Uh, They look like sausages and the like. Yeah, and dogs will find them uh, scary. (laughs) Can I pose a question to the group about Alan's lips? Uh, Who did you think he looked most like? Uh, out of the following list. Is it Pete Burns, Gilbert the Alien, Leslie Ash, Michael Portillo, a spitting image character or a bow selector character? Uh, yeah, very bow selector. Very much bow selector Kelly Osborne, yeah. I, I thought. <laughs> hey, douchebags. <laughs> now, now, I was discussing this with our infamous producer Jed earlier, uh, mentioning Gilbert the Alien. Do you guys remember that character at all? I do no, not. No. So, uh, and that was also my prediction to Jed. You guys wouldn't know who that was. Uh, so he was a, a puppet presenter character in an ITV kids show called Get Fresh, which I think was like a Saturday morning <laughs> kids show. Now, the fun thing the is... 60s TV really was brilliant. Uh, it, was on, it was on air 1986 and 1988. Now, the fun thing is, producer Jed, fount of all knowledge for weird and shit television and film stuff... Uh, there is a good Alan link here. Phil Cornwall voiced him and owns the puppet. And according to Jed, he has the puppet in his suitcase and it's rotting away. <laughs> Jed, then wrote, Jed then wrote, I know too much about Gilbert. Oh. So thanks, Jed. If I if I trusted anyone to be an authority on rotting puppets in a suitcase, it would be, <laughs> it would be producer Jed. Jed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, That's so what he's here for. There's, there's either a joke that's gone over my head or an absolutely colossal continuity error at this point. Yes. How did Alan get over to the Quavers so fast and get changed? Is this a, yeah. is this a joke about segments on, on li- quote unquote live shows not always being live or is this just a genuine fuck up? Well, I don't think it would be a fuck up. It's too, it's too big to have just forgotten to explain it. I but think it's still grounded probably in reality. Right. It, it, the show is ultimately grounded in reality, so I, I would mm. I would argue it is more of a mistake because yeah. that's that isn't a joke. There's, yeah, there's, there's it, nothing funny there. If, but I, th- I think Adam might have it right that the gag is it's a pre-recorded segment at the end of the show, which is quite likely that's what they. If this was a real live show, because it features the presenter, it's quite likely they would have pre-recorded that, so then they don't have to 
do the rushing around that, because that, also you'd think they could have made a joke of him having to get from the sofa to the stage. That then begs the question: Why has he still got swollen lips in it? It yeah. must be real. It must so have it been. Can't be that. It yeah. must and be also, supposed to be real time. I think if you're going to do that gag, you have to have alluded to it in some way, either in a previous yeah. episode or earlier in this episode. No, you know what? You're right. It can't. It can't be that it gag can't because be that. And it just it, and yeah. it just takes you out the reality of the the quote unquote yeah. reality of the show. It's just a. It, there's some weird editing choices in this episode as a whole. Um, but I think yeah. normally they are deliberate gags, aren't they? Like we talked about, and I think we've seen but, that a lot throughout the series. But with this, yeah. you've he he's. You've got five seconds of Alan not being on screen between it, him saying, like, thanks and then being on stage. And obviously there's no way that's possible. It would be clearly signposted and set up were that yeah. to be a joke. It would yeah. they'd give you a little bit more. I think, unfortunately, it is just a bit of a continuity error, um, which, you know, is a shame and it happens. But it, it's probably not an error as such. It's probably they were struggling to cut it down to a 29 minute program. Yeah, I'm no, sure. I'm right. sure that's the case with every week. Yeah, it's yeah. just a shame. And they it, probably it, just thought, "Fuck it." <laughs> it's a shame it happens to fall in what is a particularly weak segment. Um, so, the, I mean, there's, there's a few other little jokes here. The quavers are genuinely not that good. There's someone else in in, in the group that can't sing very well. Um, the song they've chosen is extremely dated for a female empowerment anthem. It's sisters <laughs> are doing it for themselves. So there's still lines in there about them getting out of the kitchen, which in itself yes. is now somewhat sexist. Uh, yep. And then it fades out, which I thought was very muted and weird. And I've also got my final note, really, is that Alan's lips alone cannot carry this ending. I think you've missed a major gag with this as well, though, that the lead vocals for the sisters are doing it for themselves are all done by the male singers. Oh, yes. And all the, all the women <laughs> yep. are stood in the back row. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just backing singers. Um, <laughs> before we get in the into uh, so, suddenly this scene is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've still playing hateful to women. We finally yeah, understood the gag. We worked it out. It's hilarious. Why did we doubt you? <laughs> before we get into summaries and etc., I have been totting up a list of assumptions that Alan makes throughout the episode. I just uh, throw them out loud to you now. That patting someone on the bum is fine if they're the same sex as you. That starting a show with a roles full of scantily clad women would have been totally normal in 1999. That being objectified is okay if you gave consent. That it's surprising that women's hour is good. That it's not his fault. <laughs> that it's not his fault he can't pay attention to a conversation between women. It's because there's a generalised problem in men. The fact that he met a female mechanic reflects well on him personally. That he thinks the right thing to do when seeing a woman parallel parking is to shout instructions. That brushing someone's hair is sexual harassment. That sex pests are just annoying that libraries only stock non-fiction and that women are worse drivers than men. That's Alan's roll call for this episode. Brilliant. Very comprehensive. Well summary. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like uh, we, we've leaked our feelings throughout this, but uh, <laughs> one of us in particular. But uh, what, what did everyone think of uh, episode five? Well, should we do a best bits, worst bits? Yeah. Is, that, is that a good way to approach mm, it? Yeah. Cool. Okay. I mean, for me, favourite bits, the opening of the show, uh, the chat with the feminist, and I think every time Alan and Simon interacted in this episode, I loved. And I think the reason I loved a lot of those bits is because it really brought me back to the know me, knowing you days. Uh, The worst bits, definitely the library roller racking. There was no payoff in that. And the quavers at the end. Again, the massive lips was a really good potential visual gag, but it didn't really go anywhere. I feel like it should have had, or at least it could have had a better conclusion to make, to make that film more worthwhile. Um, I think my worst bits are exactly the same bits as yours. I think with specific reference to Alan's lips, 
It's very funny, very briefly, but you know the level of detail has gone into this series, the amount of chat they must have had about how big to make them. I think they made them comically big, bigger than anyone's lips would, would blow up in that space of time, and too big, too big to be believable in the scene. Um, best bits... There was no standout moment. I think there were good bits with Simon. There were a few good bits with Ruth. There were some good bits uh, in the uh, second half of the British Library section, but but none of it was a particular one-off standout for me. Um, so my uh, highlights would definitely be the opening. I thought that was really strong and only became disappointing because everything after that was obviously so poor. Apart from uh, the mother-in-law joke um, about the six men beating her up, I thought that was genuinely <laughs> an absolute groin wrecker. Um, I mean, the British library scene for me was was woeful and just kind of sad to see, but yeah. <laughs> sad to see. <laughs> Uh, my favourite bits definitely the intro like Nick said a very very strong opening and promised so much Um, I also enjoyed quite a few elements in the library section a lot of Alan's face acting sort of being reacting to the woman swearing and uh, him kind of learning a new word and then using it immediately in the following section and also Alan's general um, what's the word sort of his mannerisms or actions when he's doing the thing in reverse like the wanking on the head and all that sort of stuff I, I laughed <laughs> I laughed quite a bit at that uh, the weak bits I mean yeah the me too section promised much but didn't really deliver anything in terms of big laughs for me it, that section really kind of killed a lot of momentum and it as I said earlier sort of struggled to regain it after that and then the quavers like everyone said just a very sort of huh what it, it ending and it, the episode just kind of happens and not i don't really have a huge amount of feeling either way it's just sort of there um really felt like a bit of a filler episode really just the thing about the quavers as well it does feel like that comes a bit out of nowhere that's never been referenced in any other piece no. of like the apu has it it's odd yeah also it is just worth noting that uh for any new listeners who are coming to the podcast on this episode um we have seemed quite down on this episode and saying it's the worst one listen back to our previous episodes we are much much more positive on this series as a whole there's some really great episodes that we're all really really positive about and really really love so go and check those out if you want something a bit more positive about this series (laughs) i I also we are fans we are fans i wouldn't say it's bad but i would say it's patchy i think that's uh, that's, that's the fairest comment I can make and isn't a lot of this just because it comes down to our, our expectations are just so high we want everything to land in the best way possible yeah yeah and I think you know fans of Partridge they've all got their favourite era and they're all hoping to get more like that from this series mm. and they yeah. can't possibly yeah. deliver what every single person wants so it does feel like they, occasionally they try and do a bit of Scissor Isle style Partridge a bit of Mid-Morning Matters series you mm. know style Partridge a bit of a bit of the books a bit of classic and and maybe don't always hit all of it I find it interesting how, you know, people who, as soon as an episode is done, they're like, that's terrible, that wasn't very good, or it's very, very good, and we really, really liked it. When obviously all the previous Alan, you've had so many years to watch on repeat and know the gags and learn Mm. everything about it, whereas this you're doing a sort of immediate reaction. So it's always going to be quite polarising, whereas over the years, obviously, people can go back and watch the series. You know, how many times have we watched it, for example, and we hold them in such high regard because we've watched them so many times? It'd be interesting to know if in future years that how this is judged looking back when people have been able to watch them more on repeat viewings 
And I, and I think on average, we're probably watching these episodes three, maybe four times before we come to record. And even in that short space of time, I'm definitely picking up on lines of dialogue or small visual gags, which I haven't on a first or second viewing. So I think these all bear repeated watching. So probably an opportune moment to um, reveal the results of our weekly poll, which asked which episode you'd enjoyed the most. Um, I'm going to reveal them in reverse order for some heightened tension. (laughs) And in last place was episode one, which got 5% of the um, votes. In third place was episode two, which got 17%. In second place was episode three with 25%. And finally, the winner was episode four, which was the lookalikes episode, which we discussed last week, um, which took uh, 53% of the votes. And uh, frankly, that's shocking. Wow. So, So basically, people have been loving them more as they go on with the possible exception of this week's episode that we've just covered. <laughs> Are the results of that poll just a reflection of people having a very short-term memory as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although it I would seem say, that way. just very quickly to that point, I've definitely seen the amount of things being shared on social media around Alan Partridge. It seems like things from last week's episode, especially the Martin Brennan, Alan Partridge lookalike, seems to have really captured the public zeitgeist and imagination. of Lots of people sharing it. Loads of, you know, there were some signs at the, uh, the, the People's Vote March oh, yeah. the other week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I hate, I hate to say that, it, yeah. but that character's probably achieved meme status. Yes, I think I think it already has. I think if you're already on a banner at a protest march, you've made it. <laughs> Congratulations, Martin Brennan. Um, <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> okay, so we're going to be back any second now with uh, a little look at the IMDb scores and the overnight viewing figures for this episode of This Time. So the Internet Movie Database score, uh, quite incredibly, this has got 8.4 out of 10, which uh, is is quite shocking. I mean, it's only from 30 votes, but I think what I've noticed from the trend of, 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 of looking at these is that they score very highly immediately after the episodes get go out when it's fresh in people's memories. As the week goes on, I think the vote starts to come right. down a little bit. So we'll see what it... We'll see where it lies this time next week, but it is it is quite high. Um, and then the overnights from last night, uh, watched by 1.575 million, which is down 55k on uh, last week's. Okay, so a, a small uh, but not insignificant drop. Yeah, exactly. And Tom, I believe you have a little bit f- further information on the overnights. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, well, welcome. I picked up a copy of a recent broadcast magazine. So the most recent uh, Alan episode they have, these are the figures from Monday the 11th of March. So this would be episode three. And from that week, I've got the top 10 comedy programme ratings. So just to give you the context of where Alan sits in terms of UK comedy audiences at the moment, within that top five, at number five, you've got a Dad's Army repeat Jesus. with point nine with 0.90 of a million. Um, At number four, Fleabag, and that got 1.4 million. At number three, Derry Girls on Channel 4, 1.52 million. Alan comes in at number two with 1.68 million. And Warren is the biggest, uh, most watched comedy show of that week on BBC One with 2.18 million. Wow, two two notable things about Warren. Obviously, one, it immediately proceeds this time with Alan Partridge. uh, And two, that means I'm subjected to the last five joyless yeah. minutes of Same. it every single week before Alan comes on uh, Not it's not for me let's say it's not for me <laughs> it's Miranda it's Mrs Brown's boys isn't it it's filling that void for people who like that kind of middle of the road comedy mm. yeah. enjoy um, so uh, 
I think uh, we're, we're almost wrapping up this episode, but it's time to play Predictor Partridge. So if everyone could ready their predictions. Um, let me give you first the uh, official uh, synopsis of episode six. Faced with some of the toughest challenges that live TV can throw at a man, including rancor behind the scenes, a viewer in danger, and a segment on women's fashion, Alan calls on sidekick Simon Denton to step up to the plate. But will they sink or swim? Steve Coogan stars as the broadcaster making a return to primetime TV from the wilderness of local radio. So, uh, this is obviously going to be the last in the series. Um, I think I just wanted to read that bit out so that no one's prediction can be as obvious as I think Simon gets to co-present or that sort of thing because yeah. I think we know that's yeah. going to happen um, let's recap uh, this week first uh, so Stab is on 2 Nick's on 1.5 I'm on 0.5 Tom Dark's on 0 I predicted Alan will use the Me Too context to create another awkward moment between Simon and Lucy. That did not occur. Tom Stab said Alan will do something to really offend Jenny. I would say that did not occur. Nick said you will see a pixelated pair of breasts. Uh, that did not occur. <laughs> and Tom Dark said Alan has had Lucy sacked. That did not occur. So no score change this week. Um, I'm happy to go first with my prediction for next week. Do it. I think it will be Simon that drops the ball massively and potentially costs Alan the presenting job. Or Simon does something to offend Jenny and Alan's forced to make a choice of who to back. Uh, well, how many guesses is that? Yeah, you've had two guesses there, man. Uh, uh, all right, you can only... No, you've got to strip one. that back. All right, all right, I'll take the first one. Simon will drop the ball massively and potentially cost Alan the presenting job. Okay. Okay. Mm, Nick? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's... Okay. I'm going to say Alan sheds a tear. That's Alan sheds a tear. Tom? I will go for that the series will end on a sad note for Alan or a note of pathos. Uh, I'm going to go for Alan is in some way partially responsible for someone's death. Again. (laughs) Surely not (laughs) It wouldn't be the first time. Okay, great predictions, everybody. So uh, we'll see how we did last uh, next week. Um, obviously, if you want to get in touch with us, it's uh, at Monkey Tennis Pod on Instagram, at the Partridge Pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash the Partridge Pod, the Partridge Pod at gmail.com, or the Monkey Tennis Hotline is 07923 600 We'll be back with a new episode tomorrow with your feedback. All that's left is to pass over to our cat PA, Lynn50, for her thoughts on this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I can only apologise for that language on what we like to think of as a family podcast. Uh, We'll certainly (laughs) be having words with Lynn to make sure this kind of behaviour is not repeated. Um, But on that bombshell, it's time to say goodbye from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Thanks and goodbye. Bye. Okay, Peter. Thanks. Aha! Damn! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Sorry, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're like packing, basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.